today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith That first century church and the 21st century church must live with a sense of anticipation that He could come in any moment. That's how we are to live with that sense of expectancy. Now the future should influence the present. Tomorrow should influence today. And that influence is to be seen in the house of the Lord. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and Though we're not supposed to guess the day or the hour of Jesus' second coming, we're called to live in anticipation of Jesus' return. It gives our life purpose and direction and helps us know what's really important. Pastor Ed teaches in today's message that this anticipation should influence our present lives. So how should this look? When we live with the end in mind, we should focus on doing everything for Christ's glory through our prayer life, service, and love for others. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, Living with the End in Mind. going to continue our series now on 1st Peter. Peter the Apostle wrote 1st and 2nd Peter. In his book he focuses a lot on suffering. In both of his books he focuses a lot on the second coming of Christ, the consummation of the ages. And in the portion of scripture that we're going to read today, he looks at the end And he said, keep your eyes and way focused on the end and live in light of the culmination of the ages. History is moving towards a direction. It's not directionless. It's not happenstance or an accident. But we're moving towards a direction. And that is the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then the coming of a time of judgment. And so I'm going to ask you if you will turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Now, Peter is finishing up a section that he's been addressing people in their personal lives and their corporate life, and now he's especially speaking about our relationship in the church to other believers. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. 
so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Do you remember the very first time you learned about the second coming of Christ? Remember the very first time you heard that Jesus Christ was coming back again? I remember. I was newly saved, and when I went to church, they began to talk about the second coming of Christ. And there in the early 70s, they came out with a film series, A Thief in a Night. Anybody old enough to remember that? (laughs) Some ladies are not raising their hand. (laughs) But I remember reading about it, studying about it, and getting a Bible study from Moody Bible Institute and studying the book of Revelation. It really captured my heart. And in church, we would talk about the second coming of Christ with our friends. I even used it in witnessing. And I remember one day writing an English composition for high school about how the common market fits into the prophetic prophecy about the revised Roman Empire. I don't remember what I got on the grade, but I do remember I wrote about it. It influenced me. It impacted me. As a young person in my late teens, I began to think about the second coming of Christ, and I began to try and line my life up being prepared. All through these decades, there has been interest in the second coming. I think about the books, the videos, the films that have come out, the Left Behind series. How many read those? Some of them. Left Behind series. And then they had the film series, the Left Behind series. I'm thinking especially by Tim LaHaye, and there was another author, Jenkins, I believe it was. God wants us to think about his coming. And Peter is saying... The church needs to focus on the coming of the Lord. On that end which all of us will one day meet the Lord. And it should influence the way we live in this present world. Now think about when did Peter write this? How many years ago? Two millenniums almost. It's interesting because in scripture the Bible talks about In the New Testament, we're living in the last days. Then it talks about living in the last times. And then John the Apostle in 1 John says, we're living in the last hour. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. What all of those passages are referring to is that we are in the last phase of God's redemptive plan. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, it marked a time period that is called the the last days. So a church in the first century, or in the fifth century, or in the 21st century, believers in whatever century were to live with an anticipation of the Lord's return. We were to live with an expectancy that Christ could come back at any time. Now, for some, that's confusing because people tend to want to put down a date, a month, a year, and this is when it's going to happen. And Jesus warns us about that. Our understanding is limited. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, You also must be ready all the time. 
For the Son of Man will come when least expected. So that first century church and the 21st century church must live with a sense of anticipation that he could come in any moment. That's how we are to live, with that sense of expectancy. Now, the future should influence the present. Tomorrow should influence today. And that influence is to be seen in the house of the Lord. And so Peter is talking and addressing how the coming of Christ, the coming of the judgment of God, should impact how we as a church function. And he chooses three particular areas. The first one he draws our attention to is prayer. In verse 7, Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. The church is to be a house of prayer for all nations. It's a priority. It's a foundation. We are to be men and women of prayer. And that's why often on a Wednesday night, we give ourselves to seeking God corporately as a community. Watchmen on the wall. Because there is spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies. And we don't even recognize and realize sometimes what is happening. But it's happening. And so what Peter does is he leads us to the place of how we can properly prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and prepare our wills to go into our prayer closets. He says in verse 7, Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So guard your mind and guard your life. We are to guard our mind and guard our life. Be clear-minded means don't let your mind be cluttered. Now, if you look at the context, the verses in the previous chapter, the verses right before, to be clear-minded means several things. First, don't be weighed down with the cares and concerns of this world. Sometimes we are. We take burdens that God never meant us to carry. We worry about things that God wants us to leave in His hands. And so, as a Christian, we have to be careful that our minds are clear. We're not preoccupied with cares and concerns that can choke our spiritual life. The Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added. We're first to follow his priorities. Like in the Lord's Prayer, it begins with God's priorities. Then we're to bring our concerns. And as we think clear-minded, it'll help us to know the mind and the heart of God. There's another area that can fill our hearts with problems, and he talks about this in his epistle, conflict. Oh, conflict is a way of life. Conflict in the home, conflict at work, conflict in the church. It happens. I mean, we're human, we're fallen, and it it happens. And those conflicts could get into our emotions so that we're not clear-minded. When we're not clear-minded, we won't have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ will keep us focused. And he's saying, think about his coming. Think about his return. 
think about Jesus breaking through the eastern sky. He's going to return. And when he returns, we need to be prepared for his coming. And so as we focus our thinking, but he goes on and he talks about being self-controlled. Look at the biblical text. Be self-controlled. And again, the context is talking about don't let the old passions, the old nature get a hold of your life. Don't let the flesh just rise up and fight the spiritual part of you. Because the Bible says that there's a war inside of every person between the natural and the supernatural, between our fallen nature and our new nature. And we're not to yield to the passions of the flesh. Because if we do, when we get into the prayer closet, we're not going to be able to pray aright. What happens is when you go into the prayer closet, if you're concerned with the concerns of this world, if you're caught up in the things that really are taking and pulling you away from God, you're going to miss the mark in your prayers. Yeah, that's what James says. You don't receive an answer because you pray amiss out of selfish, self-centered, worldly, carnal desires. And when you pray that way, God doesn't answer those type of prayers. So Peter is concerned that when we come into the prayer closet, that we are clear-minded and that we're self-controlled, practicing personal discipline in our spiritual lives. You know, the greatest conquest is he who conquers himself. So you submit your will to God. You die daily to yourself. You do God's will and you follow his agenda. And if you want to be a servant of others, well, we must master ourselves. He's saying, when you go into the prayer closet in the church, when you're praying in your home, make sure you're clear-minded, you have the mind of God. Make sure you're self-controlled so you're not governed by the flesh, but you're guided by the Spirit so your heart is in tune with God. And you're in harmony with Him so you could pray the way He would want you to pray for your family, for your friends for yourself, for your children. When you're prepared to go into the prayer closet, when you're self-controlled, clear-minded, when you go into the prayer closet, what happens is you'll be guarded and guided in your prayer. It says, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Prayer is our spiritual lifeline. Prayer is a lifeline between heaven and earth. We're to stand as watchmen upon the wall, praying for one another, praying for the church. It's so important that this place be called a house of prayer for all people so that spiritual warfare can take place and victories can happen. And so he's saying, you want to be prepared and you can be prepared. You could pray God's mind, God's heart, God's will, God's purposes. And think about it. As you're praying, you're saying, God, I see the end. I see you coming back. 
And you're rewarding everyone according to their works. So what's happening is you're recognizing that God is the judge of all the earth. And you want your heart aligned with his heart. You want your mind aligned with his mind. You want your steps aligned with his steps. Every Christian should practice and develop the discipline of prayer. It is not easy. I mean, sometimes it's easier than others, especially when we're in trouble. Especially when we're going through a problem. Especially when we don't have money to pay the bills or we're in a physical problem. All of a sudden, we're able to spend time in God's presence. But uh, even when things are going well, developing that consistent prayer life helps us prepare for the coming of the Lord. Helps us keep on that compass that God has for our spiritual life. Now, he goes on and He makes another priority, a priority for all of us, and it's not very easy. Peter says, we are to love one another. Verse 8, above all, above all, love each other. That's not easy. You know that. It's hard to love people in your home sometimes. (laughs) But Peter knew that too. And he wanted the church to love one another. Now, perhaps Peter was remembering Jesus when he met him by the seaside at the end of John's gospel. And Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus responds, feed my sheep, care for my sheep, feed my lambs. What he's saying here is this. Our love for God is always seen by our love for others. The measure of our love for God is not unrelated to the love that we have for other people. That's what Peter is getting at. And he says it has to be a love that is demonstrated. In verse 8, not just a feeling in our heart. It has to be something that we do. Above all, love each other in a shallow way, correct? Not deeply. Now that word, it means stretch, pull, strain. It's the picture of an athlete in a race. And all of their muscles are strained and pulling. A picture of an athlete working out. And they're straining and they're pulling and they're Going above and beyond. See, that's the type of love that God expects from believers. You can't do it on your own. And I can't. Only God can help you to love in that way. But that's what he tells us to do. A love that is constant. And intense. And committed. Then he illustrates it. By taking a real personal example. He takes that in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now there's a historical context that unless we understand that, we won't understand what, what Peter's saying. The early church was primarily house churches. Most all of the churches were in a home. 
And they didn't have very many inns. In those days, they didn't have Holiday Inn and all those different places. They had a few inns, and most of those inns were places of deep sin. And Christians, believers, would often have visiting teachers and preachers come to those different house churches. They would be traveling from community to community to community and minister in those different house churches. The Didache was a guideline for the early church. It was written about the first century. We believe at the end of the first century. And it gave the criteria for how people were to act in the church. And one of the criteria was this on visiting pastors and visiting preachers. They said they should stay no more than one day and at two the most. And they should be careful how much they eat and they would be a false prophet if they asked for money. (laughs) That's what it says in the Didache. Now this was a document that the early church used and was guided by. He said, now offer hospitality. Picture it now. Home is opened up, and there the church is. And in that church, in that home, maybe you had 15, 20 people, and there sitting is a convert. They've been serving the Lord for a while, but they just don't know good hygiene. And when they leave, the windows are open, the doors are open. They're trying to get fresh air in. There's another convert in there. There's another believer in that house. And, and that person, well, they don't get along with so-and-so. And so they sit on the other side of the room while the other person sits on that side. And so they're in that congregation. And then there's another believer there. And they grumble and grumble and grumble and grumble. And complain and complain. And then there's Sister Talkative. Service finishes, everything, and she's still ready to talk. Hasn't even gone down for a second wind. You know, it just keeps on going. Didn't need it. Then you have another person in there, and they just, they don't know how to be courteous. They're rough, they're rude, they're, well, you know, they step all over your feet and on your heart as they go home. So you have all of these problems. And what does he say? Show hospitality. Aren't you glad we have a nice church building? (laughs) How do we apply it today? I think that what he would say is befriend people even though it may be difficult to get along with them. Even though you may see things that it's hard to handle. The Bible tells us that we're to offer hospitality. And so if we do that, we'll be blessed by God. So we love in a very practical way. We demonstrate it, but there's a tremendous power when you do that. Who loved you more than anyone else? Jesus, right? The cross. He loved you while you were an enemy, while you opposed him. He still loved you. He died on the cross for you. He loved you. Love has incredible power. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Building in faith. 
The book of 1 Peter reminds us that persecution is a part of each Christian's life. Jesus himself faced great opposition in his time, yet he never let it sway his position. As Pastor Ed has reminded us here on Building in Faith Radio, we can learn from Jesus' example and even draw strength from him when the world is turning against us. Jesus is our rock and our comforter and will always be with us. Pastor Ed Jones will continue teaching through the book of 1 Peter on the next edition of Building in Faith. But you can find more messages right now by visiting our website, buildinginfaithradio.com. Be sure to visit our homepage as well, where you will be greeted by a daily scripture and some exciting events coming up for us here at Faith Assembly. We know how important finding a home church is to the Christian walk. And if you've not yet found that for your own life, why not join us? We'd be honored to meet you and share a time of worship and Bible study with you. We gather together each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and again on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Location information and directions are on our website. That address again is buildinginfaithradio.com. As our time with you comes to a close today, we'd like to remind you that you are a child of God and you are valuable to Him. He is there for you always and will answer when you call on Him. May your journey with God be blessed. Pastor Ed will return soon for more from the book of 1 Peter on the next edition of Building in Faith. Your word restores and heals, transforms, rebuilds, and it makes a way that we can be building in faith, building in faith. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. Absolutely everyone. The stakes of leadership are sky high. Everyone has influence. Come to the Global Leadership Summit on August 10th and 11th and learn skills to help you lead transformation in your community. The summit features leaders like Bill Hybels, Sheryl Sandberg, Andy Stanley, and more. Experience the summit at Faith Assembly, Casper Kill Campus, Poughkeepsie, August 10th and 11th. Register at willowcreek.com summit and use the priority code radio, willowcreek.com summit.